Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I am your host Ben Kreider and today I'm going to be giving you guys a game recap from the Golden State Warriors game yesterday, the top stars from that one, and some of the major takeaways. And I'm also going to be giving you guys a preview for tonight's game against the LA Lakers. And you also do not want to miss out for this episode because I will be giving you guys a really special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. But just starting it off with the Golden State Warriors game. You come into the Paycom, you know, you had this game against the 76ers, which quite frankly was better than the other two. Like you play Utah, 21 point game. The Houston one was unacceptable. You get blown out by like 30 points the entire way. You got alley-oops from Sangoon, Jalen Green's on trampolines the entire game. It was not good. Looked a lot better against Philly. You go into this match against the Golden State Warriors. For Golden State, they were 3-0. They were looking to go 4-0, remain undefeated. Hottest team in the NBA. They look great in preseason play as well. Jordan Poole looked like Klay Thompson. You had other guys. Steph Curry, obviously. He had that major, major first quarter against the Clippers, I believe it was. But they were just firing on all cylinders. And for the Thunder, it's the complete opposite story because they kept losing these major games in double-digit deficits. I will say they did look progressively better uh, on Sunday. And then you go into Tuesday with a chance to make a statement. So they go in and Mark Dagnall decides to make a major shift in the rotation. And, And I don't know if it's major. You know, he did it during the preseason, so it is to be expected. But he's already shifted the center lineup three separate times. This was the third new induction we got. It was Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So he got his first career start in this one. You take out Isaiah Roby, who's your typical small ball five. You insert Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And for Derek Favors, he's just a guy off of the bench. And when you look at what the Warriors did, they honestly still have some injuries to deal with. So you don't see your typical guys like James Wiseman, for example. That might be your interior center. They could not do that for this game. They put Kavon Looney out, so you might like that matchup a bit more. But you start things off, and the small ball lineup paid its dividends early. They strike the board. They open things up with two layups. I think one might have been from Giddy. One of them was a Darius Baisley two-handed jam. He had a top-of-the-key look. Not a lot of contest there, but he goes for the pump fake, gets his defender to bite. He had a wide open drive, so he took it with two hands. No real contest there because it was going to be a poster. And then you had Jeremiah Robinson Earl being the beneficiary of a Josh Giddy driving dish. So Josh Giddy gets inside. He finds Jeremiah Robinson Earl at the top of the key, and he gets it down. So you already are at a 7-0 lead. That might be the biggest lead that the Thunder have had all season. Maybe not even seven. You could go, you know, four, five points, but they already get to seven unanswered points. Golden State does not look like they have much in them, but they start getting some buckets, but it wasn't like an immediate flip of the switch. You know, you got two baskets for the Warriors, but it's fine. The Thunder, they were still rocking and rolling. Lou Dort started getting and ones. You saw SGA also dousing in the and one column. They had a 14 to four lead to open this game. So already up double digits against arguably the best team they have faced at this point. They don't have Clay Thompson. They don't have James Wiseman, but you have Steph Curry, who 
honestly has probably been the best player in basketball through the first three regular season games. You have Draymond Green, who's looked pretty solid. Jordan Poole has had his moments, and you can't forget about Andrew Wiggins. He's looked okay as well. So you're looking really good against a very, very promising team, and then you start looking at some of the other aspects of the Thunder's offense that maybe you haven't seen in a while. So you're up 10. A lot of off-ball movement was used in order to get that. There was one play specifically where SGA, he drove in from the right wing, kind of got clogged up uh, right below, I guess, the elbow. Like, I don't know. (laughs) He was kind of close to basket though, but he kind of gets caught up there, drags in two defenders, and with SGA, whenever he slashes inside, typically you don't see him just stall out, but he kind of did. I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but he stalls out gets the center to bite, gets another player to bite as well, and you have Josh Giddy who was kind of just lurking at the left corner. You know, he's in no man's land. SGA couldn't gun this pass off uh, because there was someone who was kind of sifting around the left baseline as well, more like the left uh, wing, but kind of the mid-range column. So there wasn't a lot of room for Josh Giddy, but he decides to slice in back door from the left side. SGA finds him. And then Giddy goes up for a reverse layup, kind of rolls out like a toilet bowl deal, but off of the miss, everyone thought it was going in. Baisley, he was still there, so he got a two-handed putback jam to kind of keep them up, and they looked very, very solid. So Golden State had to call a timeout after that play. They got some sinking after that point, and it was like the final closing ticks where you saw the Warriors start to succeed. Draymond was getting inside. There was a lot of interior passes. Uh, I think one was on fast break where there was literally nobody um, close to whoever was taking the layup. It was almost like a routine monkey in the middle session. And yeah, it did not work out in the Thunder's favor. So OKC had to call a timeout. Seven point lead still. 23 to 16 is no joke. And then you put in Alexei Pokashevsky and Teo Maladone with Poku. I talked about it in the last episode. He only played seven minutes in the previous game against Philly. And then for Teo, he's kind of been wavering around like 15 to 20 minutes. They get in for first minute time or first quarter minutes. And then you see Giddy go out and Baisley go out. Instantly off of that, Lou Dort starts sparking some energy. Teo hits a catch and shoot jumper. They're back up 10 points. Trey Mann goes in for Lou Dort, so even more of these youngsters get in. And then you have a very crafty lineup where there's SGA, Trey Mann, and Teo with almost a three-guard lineup. Poku and Isaiah Roby are there to kind of fill out the front court. And I thought it was pretty creative of Mark Dagnall to go that route. It did not really work, so they just completely got rid of that rotation after the quarter ended. But there was like two, three minutes where you had it. Steph Curry erupted in those moments though he had two threes one of which was a four-point play hit that free throw by the end of the first OKC's lead was 34 to 29 so they were up really the entirety actually the entirety of this first quarter and they were already up double digits in a matter of five of those 12 so they were looking perfect this was the best quarter basketball they played in the regular season but then they go out for the second quarter and they're still looking to build on that lead because they were very very impressive you don't want to let it slip away before halftime so you keep that second unit out there Alexei Pogoshevsky he starts the quarter out hits five consecutive points did it in the last contest that's kind of his calling card where he drops five points and then might simmer down a little bit but didn't matter got his five points 
kind of rally the troops behind him. 12-2 opening run for the Thunder. Got them a 15-point lead in the first five minutes. And Golden State could not hit anything to begin the second quarter. One of eight to begin it. And then for the Thunder, they just had to go right to the basket to create some shots for themselves. Did a very, very good job of that. And they did a good job of clinging on to that double-digit lead. They had a double-digit lead until like the three-minute mark. And that's where you got Steph Curry coming back in, Draymond Green's back in. There's a 15-4 run going in Golden State's favor. Got it down to four points. So just a complete role reversal where OKC seemed like they were on top of the mountain. You get the Warriors starting group back out there and they start hitting their shots. They start finding their rhythm. And then for the Thunder, it's kind of back to getting those shots, but just not being able to hit any of them. So four point lead in the final seconds. Luckily for OKC, they did finish the half in a strong fashion. Lou Dort slashed inside, found Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and then he just flushed it right away. So so they were actually quietly able to build that lead back up. It was a uh, double-digit lead for them going into the second half. It was 59-48, to and they looked pretty good on the high side. And when you look at the halftime breakdown... SGA was firing. He already had 13 points through the first 24, was going 5 of 9. Didn't really look at the 3 too often, was 1 of 2 there. But the whole team was pretty good from distance. They were 7 of 16, 43.8%. You're lucky to see them break the 30 mark uh, in some of these games uh, we've seen so far. So that was very impressive. And then you look at some of the other deals they were doing. They actually were winning the rebound battle 23 to 20 as well and then you had some good action from Lou Dort and Jeremiah Robinson Earl both of them already had nine points didn't see a lot from Josh Giddy yet in terms of scoring Baisley got on the board for three baskets then you look at the Warriors sides uh, of things and they weren't hitting threes that is what their calling card has been and that's why they kind of jumped out to the major lead uh the Thunder did because the Warriors started, I believe, like 1 of 8 or 2 of 8 from distance. And then, obviously, they had the stinker of a second quarter opener. So, that's what they kind of amassed their lead on. And then you look at the halftime breakdown. They were 6 of 21 from 3. That's 28.6%. Almost half of their shots were coming from 3. And they were getting the looks. They just were not going in. Only person on the Warriors team who was hitting their threes. You can probably guess it. It was Steph Curry. He was 3 of 6, was 5 of 10 overall, and already had 16 points, but there was really no supporting cast for Steph Curry. You had guys like Jordan Poole. He took 8 shots. He hit uh, 2 of them, and then 5 of those tries were from 3. None of them went in. Andrew Wiggins tried 8 attempts, hit 3, missed 3 3-pointers, so nothing was going out from the perimeter unless it was coming from Steph Curry. And obviously, when you see that, the Thunder are going to double them up. They're going to make sure off the dribble handoffs and off of those screens, they're going to be pressing uh, pressuring him. They're going to be hedging, just going to be making sure he can't get comfortable, even though it only takes a little bit of daylight for Steph Curry to erupt uh, for some baskets. But you go into the third quarter, and it's really much the same. SGA is just the commander. You're putting him in high ball screens. You're letting him work. You're letting him ISO. And it was working to perfection. They keep that 10-point lead. Jeremiah Robinson Earl hits a 3 at the top of the key again. That's going to get them back up to 12 points. 
And then they were just working and working. They had a 13-point lead in the middle of the third quarter. And they were working towards a double-digit lead in the closing four minutes until Golden State just started hitting shots in succession. Now, this one kind of reminisced that of when the Houston Rockets got on their scoring tangent. They went 6 of 7. I think it was in the second or third quarter. But it put them on a run that got them up 23 points and just closed the window on the Thunder's chances. Now, it's a completely different story because the Thunder were up here, but they just let it slip away. Golden State, four of six, but on top of this, you got to keep in mind, they had about six or seven free throws mixed in here. So they're making shots, but they were also getting the whistle for the Thunder. They were just missing shot after shot. 17-2 closing run for the Golden State Warriors. That put them up five to go into the fourth quarter. 81-76, to and that was an absolute gut-wrenching period for Oklahoma City. They were looking to build upon those percentages. They were shooting, what, 44% from three in the first half? They went two of 10 in the third quarter. In terms of who was finding the points, SGA had nine. He was great. Next best, three points from Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So you're either SGA or you're making singular baskets. There were six total made field goals in the frame. Four of them were from SGA. And then for the Warriors, they were 11 of 18, 5 of 9 from 3. They took care of this one pretty easily, went 33-17 uh, in the quarter when it comes to outscoring them. So they go into the fourth quarter. It's still a toss-up, anybody's game. If OKC can shut down Curry, they can shut down the perimeter. They could probably claw their way back into things and they started out pretty promising yet again they find an open jeremiah robinson earl it was josh giddy i believe who found him but the shot did not go in and as a result of it golden state got two easy possessions he had one fast break think on the other side half court miss for the thunder another fast break bucket so it's a nine point lead they're on the doorstep of 10 points and then Josh Giddy helps out a little bit. He has a putback that ends the run. The run at that point was 21-2. to So it was getting very nasty for the Thunder. They needed to change the scenery of things. Josh Giddy did allow for that. And it allowed for a little bit of confusion. And the game being back up in the air. So you're hoping to get in the driver's seat again. SGA as we know, was playing a lot. He had nine points in the third quarter, 13 in the first half. The usage was off the charts, and it was not just on offense. Also on defense, he was just about everywhere. And because of it, he got a little bit too active. He picked up his fifth foul with eight minutes to go in the fourth quarter. And Mark Dagnall did not take SGA out. And I think this is a pretty instrumental part of this game that Mark Dagnall opted to keep SGA in because he was their offense. But also, eight minutes is a lot of time in terms of a basketball game. You can pick up fouls in a span of a minute. And when you are in a game where it's somewhat close, it's still about around seven points, you could probably get by taking him out for maybe three minutes, put him in for the final four or five, and then you live with that. But Mark Dagnall was not going to give up. He saw SGA was the clear leader. He was one sourcing all the offense. And hey, if you take him out, you're effectively killing uh, what you have on that side. And that's the side they needed production. You'd probably find some fill-ins on defense. So they keep him out there. Keeping some other veterans as well. 
uh, but the main part was SGA staying in really helped out the Thunder in keeping them in this game. Had three consecutive triples, and it started an 11-6 run, making it a four-point game. So SGA hit two of those triples, Giddy hit one of his own. Now it is still a toss-up, and you kind of have the nerves kicking in for both sides. Andre Godala, he was playing in the fourth quarter. He hit a three-point shot to give them a cushion, and then it was just stuck. Eight points to ten points. Eight points to ten points. Someone needed to gouge that wide open and take advantage for the Thunder's side. But by the two-minute mark, still had that eight to ten point advantage. And you go into the final possession, kind of much the same. The Thunder do get a basket, and they actually forced a Warriors turnover with 30 seconds, but time was not on their side. They ended up losing this game 106 to 98, put the Thunder down 0-4. That's going to be the worst record in the league. There might be one or two other winless teams. For the Warriors, they are now one of two teams that are 4-0. They share that title with the Chicago Bulls, and they are one of three teams that are still undefeated. The one team that is not 4-0 but still undefeated is the Utah Jazz at three and oh so this was a real dog fight the warriors literally had to use all 48 minutes to pull this game out and they were getting clobbered for about 30 of these 48 minutes they just had those strong finishing punches and the thunder could not deliver in the clutch but this was still easily their best performance i'll talk about all the big names all the big takeaways in one second but first I want to let you guys know about the deal going on at my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. The NBA is back and at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA, the key to victory is a strong starting five. New customers can bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. And if that's not better, you guys can also make same game parlays. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet just $5 on any NBA team to win their game and win $200 in free bets if they win. You win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an authorized sports betting partner of the NBA. Must be 21 or older in New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. But guys, moving on to the stat breakdown of this game. This was a really good one for the Thunder. Like I talked about, easily the best game they've had for the regular season. And just like for Sunday's game, they left the home crowd on their feet for the final buzzer. And Mark Dagnall talked about it. He mentioned how he's not Oklahoma and he's lived here for eight years. But he appreciates the pride and the work ethic that he sees from the people of Oklahoma, kind of rolling your sleeves up, that kind of mentality. Says he has a lot of faith in the fan base, and he believes that the fan base will grow with the team over time. So in conjunction with that, you know, the outpour of fans, 
Thunder, they also just had an outpour of buckets, a lot of good things to talk about. And obviously, I think the biggest one is that 15-point lead that they mounted in the first half. We have not seen them take leads past like two, three, four points, like I mentioned. To get it to 15 and to lock down Steph Curry and pretty much silence him for... 10 straight minutes in the first quarter was miraculous. And Steph Curry, I mean, he only finished this game with 23 points, which all things considered is really, really good. You check out some of the stats that they've coughed up in the past. 23 is nothing for a guy uh, of Steph's caliber. So he was able to get some shots rolling for three. Like, yeah, obviously, but he went 6 of 14 overall from the field and he only had four assists. So they had to look towards other options. Andrew Wiggins, for example, he had 21 points going 9 of 17. And Damian Lee, who's kind of the unsung hero that might not get talked about, but he really saved them in the second half. He had 20 points going 8 of 14 from the field. So you had to go towards maybe not some of the big names. I guess Wiggins might be up there, but let's be honest. People trash Andrew Wiggins all the time, so 21 points for him might be pretty damn good, and for Damian Lee, that was kind of a shot in the dark that he would get there, but the fact they needed guys like Damian Lee and Andrew Wiggins as opposed to just really Steph Curry is pretty, pretty good, and it's a great indicator for how the Thunder were doing on defense. They just didn't let Curry get wide open looks. He had to work for every shot, and the shots that he did take you know, if it wasn't Steph Curry, they were pretty, pretty contested, pretty bad shot selections, but they were ultimately going in. Checking out the Thunder's offensive game, though, this is one where I felt pretty good about all three levels. Now, when you look at them as a collective, their two-point shooting was not great. They shot 41.6. Typically, you want to go a little bit above there, like mid-40s is kind of the benchmark that I like, but they went 36 of 86 there. From three, they had their best game of the season percentage-wise. They went 35.3% from there, going 12 of 34. And then they also had their best contest at the foul line, shooting 82.4%. That's 14 of 17. I think their biggest high in terms of total made free throws is 15. And that was on Sunday against the 76ers. So I really enjoyed uh, that split there. When you look at assists, which is something that I always kind of salivate over if you're getting a lot of assists in a game I don't really care what the end result is for this team right now they didn't even get 20 assists they only had 19 when you look at the turnovers they had 13 or 14 so the assist to turnover ratio was not great but in the previous games you would see them have these assists but you didn't have guys that were isolating and finding success all the time SGA was off the charts in this game to where you didn't really need assists. You just needed SGA to take it past the timeline and you just needed him to create shots for himself. So I'm not upset about that. In the 19 assists, there were a lot of wide open looks created. And even when the shots did not go in, the Thunder had really good ball movement, which that's a major, major plus. So I kind of toss out the assist category for this game. I just want to look at the individual stats because we know there are some pretty good ones in there. And no one did it better than SGA on Tuesday night. He outplayed Steph Curry. He outplayed everybody on the court. And he kept the Thunder in through thick and thin during this game. He had 30 points on the contest, went 11 of 19. And the best part was he went 4 of 5 from downtown. And typically for SGA, going 4 of 5 is nothing crazy. You know, he, he has those games, but he hasn't had one this season yet. 
first three games, you couldn't rely on him to take shots, whether it was on the ball or off the ball, he wasn't hitting them. You look at the first games uh, as a total, he went three of 19 from distance. That's 15.8%. And in other words, that is terrible. 15.8% is garbage. Don't put the ball in someone's hands who's shooting 15.8%. But he got his head out of the gutter for this game. He was getting a lot of step backs off. And because of that, he was able to torch them to where, you know, if you want to try to hedge up top or you want to try to create havoc um, in terms of him not being able to drive, he can step back. Or if you want to apply that pressure, he can try to slip past you and create passes uh, like the one I talked about with Josh Giddy, or he could take it on his own. And he had to get really crafty with some of these baskets. It wasn't like he was just wide open and hitting, you know, 11 shots like it was nothing. No, he still had to earn his shots. A lot of them, he actually turned into open looks off of his handling, but there were some crafty finishes where he had to make some acrobatic moves. There was one moonshot where he went into, uh, I guess, like a step or two inside the free throw line, and he was just met right at the basket. So you couldn't take a normal layup. With SGA, he's not going to sky up and dunk on you. So he goes up for like this push shot almost, and the ball just seemed to be up in the air for like five seconds. And was it actually five? No. But this was like a horse. This is a game of horse. This is the kind of shot it is. You call the moon shot. It's up in the air for two, three seconds, then it goes in. Nothing but net with him. The touch on that play was perfect. I mean, you could not have made that play any better. And most of the plays and most of the reads that he made were perfect in this game. So he gets the A plus from me. When you check out some of the other statistics for him, you know, he wasn't kicking it out all that often in terms of finding assists. I think he only had four in this game and he only had one rebound. So he was really just locked into the scoring position, but it didn't really matter. And even off those assists, four of them, you know, he probably made 10 really good open passes that turned into jumpers, but just only four of them managed to hit the mark. So I thought SGA was still good uh, in terms of passing the basketball around, and that's kind of that. But the main dude who was getting the shots off of SGA and off of guys like Josh Giddy happened to be Jeremiah Robinson Earl. And this is going to be a discussion that we'll be talking about probably heading into tonight's game against the LA Lakers, but he might have just won himself over the starting gig if not just entirely like over Derek Favors, probably over Isaiah Roby because Isaiah Roby... He has those okay games, but you need to see him as a consistent three-point shooter, and he hasn't done that. Jeremiah Robinson Earl in the summer league was a consistent three-point shooter. Preseason looked pretty good. Looked not that great, to be fair, in the first three games, but he was really good in terms of spacing the basketball court out in this one, and he was able to get this second-highest team total with 12 points on the night. Top it off, gets five rebounds, gets an assist. I think he got a steal in there as well. And he played 27 minutes. So he was not getting scraps. He wasn't like the typical starting unit uh, guy for this team where he's playing maybe 20. He got an extra seven tacked on in there. And he got inspected to the fullest in this game. And he was able to convert. Really want to see him stretching the floor out. That's what you need for this team. And it's all he needs to do. I mean, he just had to lurk around the three-point line, whether it was the top of the key off a high ball screen, standing around the left wing, the corners, 
just making sure you can keep your opponent a couple steps away from the basket goes a long way. And with guys like Darius Baisley, for example, you're not going to be guarding Darius Baisley at the perimeter. He hasn't shown that he can shoot the three ball effectively in a while. And you just want to take that risk. A guy like Isaiah Roby, you still might want to take that risk because he can soar inside for some baskets. And Derek Favors has no business being around the three. With Mike Muscala, probably the same deal as JRE where you do need to clamp up on him. Maybe not close out entirely. Uh, You can put a little bit of distance, but you need to be able to close out uh, when need be. So that's kind of the pressure you got from Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Sometimes they elected to uh, take SGA, Giddy, and then when that happened, you'd kick it out to Jeremiah for an open shot and he would get it down. Went two of four from three. Both of them came at the top of the key. But as long as he's out at the perimeter and as long as he's able to make a five out offense work with this team, He's successful, and I think he's probably the primary option. So he definitely outplayed what we've seen from Isaiah Roby to this point. Now, you have to mention in this game, I talked about Roby playing with Poku in the first quarter. That was all we got to see from him. I think after those two minutes, they determined, hey, Jeremiah has been really killing it. Let's keep him in. Isaiah played two minutes. And then for Trey Mann, he also was out there for some of that first half. He only played nine minutes in the game and no Ty Jerome as well. They were looking more towards the vets. Kenrich Williams played 25 minutes. Mike Muscala played 19. And then like I talked about with Robinson Earl, he got 27 minutes uh, and a major, major spotlight to perform on. So I thought Jeremiah Robinson Earl also was really good. Uh, And I think there's a good discussion and there's probably a good argument as to why he should be playing in those small ball lineups ahead of Isaiah Roby right now. And, you know, is it a matter of skill? I I don't know. I think uh, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, we haven't seen enough from him yet to maybe see it on a a consistent basis, but I think he's been good enough throughout the first couple stages of his career, whether it's summer league preseason to now, that you do want to keep him in a big role. And if he falters in a couple games, you just got to keep playing him because he's 20 years old. On the flip side, I think Isaiah Roby's 23 going on 24 years old right now. And Jeremiah Robinson Earl has some pretty good potential to be a very good uh, bench piece. I don't know about starting piece at the five long term, but he give you a pretty good Swiss army knife because he's shown that he's a good shooter. Rebound wise, he's pretty good. And then as a passer, he's pretty unique as well at six foot eight. So Jeremiah Robinson Earl checked every single box he needed to in this game. Might have earned him uh, himself some extra reps heading into the next one. For Lou Dort, he also got 11 points, got to double digits, but he was not that great in terms of uh, what his role typically calls for. He's supposed to be a three-point shooter. He's supposed to go out there, hit a lot of catch and shoots. That's where you find the 11. Not in this one. He found his 11 really just entirely off of drives. He had the and one. He had a lot of really good finishes around the cup, but the big thing is he needs to hit his threes. He went one of five in this one. And when you add that with the previous three games, he's shooting four of 22 from downtown. So he's shooting 18.2%. The expectation is he's going to be able to amp things back up. I fully believe that would be the case, but it does stunt you a little bit when uh, a guy like Lou Dort, who I thought would be the second option uh, as a shooter, 
has just not performed through four games. I think he'll be good though, like I talked about. And for Josh Giddy, he's kind of turned himself into one of the major core pieces of the team. And we expected it, but I don't know if I expected it this fast. Now, he wasn't out there shooting. He wasn't like what Lou Dort was supposed to be in this game. In fact, Giddy only shot one of three from downtown, so he wasn't wild or anything. But he had a solid game. Had seven points, nine rebounds, and four assists in 24 seven minutes um so he kind of got some of his minutes cut across to give to the bench guys and then maybe a little bit to jeremiah as well Uh, but i thought he was good i think the backdoor cut was just an excellent play from him he is so good with spacing and we knew that it was both on the ball and off the ball on the ball obviously a little bit more advanced there but off the ball i think that backdoor cut was really really big because they had big problems in terms of cutting to the basket in their debut game. So I think they're starting, not just him, but everyone's starting to get in on the cutting action. And it's good to see a guy like Josh Giddy um, piecing that into his game when he's the second youngest dude in the NBA. So those were the three, four guys that I was super impressed with from this game. When you look at guys that maybe not so much, they could have played a bit better. Darius Baisley, Uh, is one of them. Now, he actually didn't play 30 minutes like what we've become used to. He actually played 20 minutes, shot 3 of 7 here, and went 0 of 3 from downtown. So, 7 points, 5 rebounds. Now, when you look at the actual shots, one of those was a putback dunk off the giddy miss, and then another one was just an easy slam off of a very good uh, pump fake from him at the 3, but... You know, he's, he can't hit the three, and he needs to hit the three. You keep talking about when is it going to happen, when is it going to happen, because it's a necessary part of his game in order for him to kind of stabilize himself as a starting player in the league, but he just hasn't done it just yet. I think with some of the spacing issues, when he's not on and when he's missing those jumpers, it can be to some degree a detriment. Now, when he's good, like I talked about, he, he's going to help you, you know, but it's not on a consistent basis. And I think when you're looking at people to surround SGA with and guys like that, you might want to find people that you know are sharpshooters, but also can be athletic. Darius Baisley has been a freak athlete. He's been a very good ball handler, but but he has to shoot the ball because you can't play lineups where there's two people who can't shoot the ball lights out if they are wide open. Darius Baisley has become a guy where you can sag off on him and you can just face whatever the punishment might be. Uh, And thus far in the season, there's not really a punishment to be had. So I like him as an athlete. I like his overall archetype, but he needs to pick up with these threes, especially when there's people knocking on his doorstep for minutes. There's a minute crunch here. And when you're not performing well, I think you just have to be able to give some of those minutes to the other guys. And Poku, he got some of the minutes from Bays in this game, which I was pretty happy about because I want to see more of Poku. He got to play 18 minutes, shot 3 of 7, 1 of 2 from 3, had 9 points and 4 rebounds. With Poku, he still had some bumps in the road because he shot identical to Baze at 3 of 7. I do like the 1 of 2 from 3 though, and like we've seen, 3-pointers are a main part of his game. He's going to take them if he's wide open, you know, Baze... Sometimes he does it, sometimes he doesn't. You know with Poku, if there's a shot there, he will take it. And he did actually second-guess himself a couple times in this game, uh, which he normally doesn't. I think he was kicking it out to Teo a lot for three-point shots, and I'll talk about Teo in a second here. 
Uh, but yeah, like it was still an okay game from him. I think I want to see some just uh, minute distribution, like from what we saw, where it's maybe 20-20 instead of 37, because I think that kind of screws over one of the parties. And Poku, you know, even though he could play for the OKC Blue or something, you want to see him at the NBA level as much as possible. Same goes with Teo Maladon. And I thought he'd be the sixth man. He kind of has just been the sixth man anyways. He didn't have a great game though. He shot one of five and all those shots came from distance. So like I mentioned, Poku was kind of force feeding him those looks. Poku would be wide open at the left corner or left corner. He'd be at the left wing. And then for Teo, he'd kind of be more towards the top of the key. They were leaving him open. It was kind of just a mad dash for the basketball, getting to the passing lane. Teo would take those shots and they just were not going in. So Teo's like a good shooter, I think. I think he's, he shoots 33 to 34%. That's what he did in his rookie season. I think in time, he'll also get back on track for that. Uh, he had two assists, which did supplement his game a bit. But this is one where, you know, you could be on the party of a Ty Jerome or a Trey Mann because there's been plenty of games where Ty Jerome just is on it and he's hitting shot after shot. And then for Trey Mann too, I don't think he's going to be hitting shots as consistently as a Jerome would. However, he is 20 years old. You picked him in the first round. You got to give him some run. And when Teo maybe isn't having his best game or someone isn't having their best game, you probably want to look at the rookies uh, and give them the nod before maybe some of the other people that might be on the inactives list. But anyways, that was just my big takeaway uh, from the game. Had those four really good pieces. Maybe someone could have impressed a bit more. And they will have the shot to tonight because they will complete their double header. This is also the Paycom Center. The Thunder will be taking on the Los Angeles Lakers. And we all know what that means. It means that Russell Westbrook is coming to town. The Lakers play tonight at the Paycom. They also play in early to middle December. I think it's the 10th. Don't quote me on that, though. It's on a Friday. That's the part that I remember. Um, but those are the two games. This is the first one. However, you might not see the Lakers in full force. LeBron, he was out for yesterday's game. I think he's questionable. And then the same might also go for Anthony Davis because he did have a scary fall in the previous game as well. So this could be a game where it's almost 2017 Russell Westbrook going up against the Thunder because Russ is going to have a supporting cast without LeBron, without AD. Now, will they still have some pieces? Of course, they'll still have some pieces. And I think even without LeBron and AD, the sports betting books might put the Lakers ahead of them anyways. Uh, but I think it'd make for a pretty cool matchup. Kind of regardless, you want to see LeBron, you want to see AD, you want to see those major tests where a guy like Lou Dort can clash with LeBron again. Because we know last year, the battle between Dort and LeBron James was real. You see memes, you see the video clip all the time, the fourth quarter clutch stop from Dort, where they're at the right baseline, and Dort's just using his hand to like block out LeBron's vision. And he, he wasn't only, he was only using really one hand most of the time. He was making sure that he couldn't pull any James Harden BS, flail his arms out and get to the foul line. No, he was just keeping them active. And then it, it, it turned into LeBron airball on that jumper, right? And I don't think they won that game. I think that was the overtime heartbreaker that they suffered. But you want to see that matchup as many times as possible. So I don't want to see an injury report just riddled for the Lakers side. Uh, if it is that way, 
you know, it's still going to make for a good contest if Russell Westbrook will be out playing for them. And if it is just Russ going up against the Thunder, I think it's still a pretty cool matchup because you get to see Russ going up against SGA, the new school versus, I guess you could say the old school. I don't really know about that one. Uh, but I think the matchups all around uh, would be actually pretty fair. So if there would be a game to nab, uh, I think the Lakers on the surface would have been a one you hand out to the Lakers automatically. But depending on the injuries here, I think this could be a pretty good game because the Warriors, they didn't have that many injuries. And look at what that turned into. It turned into a game where the Warriors had all the pressure on them until the final moments of the contest. I think at the Paycom, I think under this situation... If they don't get an immediately hot start with a team, just battle scarred, like let's say Russ is the only guy there. If Russ is not piping hot to begin this game, I could see them taking a 10-point lead, and I could see them maybe living out the story they had last night, but taking the W with it. So this could be fun. I think obviously the big deal when you check out a team like the Lakers and just any team in general is what do they look like uh, in terms of front court play? And they still have Dwight Howard. They got him back. They have DeAndre Jordan. Those are two back-to-basket bigs that uh, haven't really broken out with the Lakers yet. This could be a game, though, if AD is gone and if LeBron is gone. Uh, then you look towards guys like Melo. He had 28 points off the bench to uh, surpass his name in the scoring leaders list. Uh, this week, I think it was. So they have some people who can put up points. They have other veterans, a lot of veterans, specifically at the wing spots. You got guys like Avery Bradley out there. Malik Monk has been scoring. I know in preseason he had a very good game. Kind of see where that works off of. OU, if you're an OU fan, Austin Reeves has been getting legitimate playing time. So that could be a fun one to check out. I'm more of an OSU fan myself. I do respect Austin Reeves. He was an absolute nightmare. Um, whenever he was playing for the Sooners. But yeah, he could get legit time. So if you're not even there to see Westbrook, go support one of your Sooners in Austin Reeves because he got to play 30 minutes in yesterday's game against the San Antonio Spurs. Also put up 10 points in the process. So I think the big deal is the points in the paint. And then, you know, you have to check if AD and LeBron are out. If they are out, that's when you look at points in the paint. I think if all three are there, it might be a different game. Uh, But if it's just Russ, you look at points in the paint, then you got to look at shutting down Russ. And the three-point shot needs to go in for the Thunder because they had life in the game um, yesterday because of the three. And I think the three alone because they can get inside as much as they want. But if they're going to double down there, they're going to force guys like a Baisley or something to take threes, a Lou Dort if he's still frigid from downtown and they can't convert. It's just free possessions on the other end for the Lakers and you do not want to see the game play out like that. So I think this could be a pretty interesting one based on the injuries. I don't know what you guys think. If you guys have a different opinion, make sure to let me know on my Twitter. You guys can find me there or you guys can tweet directly at the pod at Thunderstick Pod and I can get you guys there as well. But other than that though, guys, that is going to wrap up today's episode. I thank you all for listening and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.